as we continue to uh, move forward as a congregation, one of the things that uh, has been on my mind is the idea that what does it mean for us to do that? Um, I'm trusting that you guys are ready here. Um, but uh, you have been bringing groceries in for um, ravaged eastern Kentucky. And this is what it looked like this morning when I walked in. Um, I took the best picture that I could, but there's even more down in the lower right-hand corner. It, it, the picture would actually keep coming. But then uh, Daryl Briggs and his uh, nephew, I believe, um, came in this morning, loaded it all completely up, and then headed out. And I was going to try to get a picture of the back end of that truck, because I hope none of it ends up on the Mountain Parkway um, as they head east. But the truth of the matter is, all of that stuff, along with, I think, $300 um, in cash that It'll be used to buy um, first aid kits and things like that, as well as 250 some dollars worth of gas cards that will allow people to run their generators. Um, I was surprised when I was talking to Daryl about where the place that that's going. I think it's going over to Knott County um, right now, but um, he was talking about the fact that they still need water. Uh, and that surprises me because water is the first thing that everybody collects and sends it in there. And that's usually one of the first staples that, you know, emergency teams get up and running and going is because we have to have water. And he said, no, no, no. He said, they still need water. And it's not necessarily water to wash themselves and clean themselves. It's water to drink. And so, um, I, you know, when I was looking at all that water, I thought, I hope we're not too late with the water. And he said, oh, no, they are begging for water still over in Knott County um, where this is going. And and so I want to thank you for being a part of that. Every time you see this come up on the news, every time you see something flash on your social media, I want you to understand that you have made a difference in eastern Kentucky. And here's the deal. You know, it's the old, the old adage that the pastor said that, you know, somebody was walking down the beach one day and there was millions and millions of starfish on the beach. And he reached down and he picked one up and he threw it into the, back into the ocean. And somebody said, why are you doing that? And he says, well, um, because it needs to be done. And he said, well, you can't save them all. And he said, yeah, but I just saved that one. Um, I just helped that one. I just gave that one some hope. And every time we do it for one, it starts stacking up. And if, if nothing else, other people see good things being done around them, they begin to do good things as well. And it's amazing what begins to happen in that. And this leads right into what I want to talk about. We're a church. Um, school is coming back in. Life is normalizing. You know, schedules are being set. You're, you're at the place right now. I, I love parents are looking at me going, I don't know when we're going to breathe. And it's like, what do you mean? It's like, we got this one in dance. We got this one in football. We got this one in cheerleading. We got this one in pottery. We got this one. And, you know, they got their kids and everything. And they're like, I'm not, we don't have enough drivers. We're going to need to. And, and, you know, so now we're being overwhelmed, not by school coming back in, but just getting our kids to the after school activities. But it's happening. Happening. Fall is just basically here. Some of you are jumping up and down because of like pumpkin spice everything. Okay, sit back down. It's not even September yet. Just chill. Okay, but I'm reading Paul's letter to Timothy in my own personal life and I'm looking at why he wrote the letter and I'm thinking about that based upon my own summer of trying to grow close to God and being super intentional about spending time with him. And, and honestly, um, the question is, 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 is 
just been on my heart. It's like, God, are we even doing it right? What do you expect from the church? If Jesus came back and, and he went to church somewhere, is this what he thought it would morph into? Um, is this is what would, would be going on? Because when you think about church back in the day, Jesus showed up, sat down on the side of a hill, and people came running, and he began to teach them, saying, that's what the Bible says, and he began to teach them, saying, and what he didn't do necessarily was all kinds of fun and game and things like that. He sat and he, and, and he taught. I mean, it wasn't Nickelodeon on the side of, of, of uh, the, the hill of Gethsemane, near the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the Mount of Olives. That's what I was looking for. It, it wasn't that. It was like, I've got to get the words of God into your heart because it will change, if not wreck your lives in a very, very good way. And so I'm processing the whole idea of what does it mean for us to be a church, and I'm reading Paul's letter, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading, I've, got, I've had a reading plan that I'm still into, and now I'm into it with a couple of guys, and every Tuesday we get together, but I went through a, a number of books, The Gospel in Ten Words, a book called Outliers, a book called The Cure, a book called The Same Kind of Different as Me, a book called Understanding the Whole Bible, and the one I'm in right now is called Destined to Reign. Um, but I've been thinking about the church and, and the truth of the matter is, when I say the church, and you're in here looking at me, what goes through your mind when I say church? Does this go through your mind? Because nine times out of ten, when somebody says church, I think this is what goes through the average person in America's mind. It looks just like this, okay? It's like, yeah, it's a church. It's the craziest thing. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It ought to be full, but often it's not. But that's what's going on. We think of the building when we think of church. We think of where do you go to church? Do you go to church? Hey, did you see that church down on the corner? And we think of it as a thing. But actually what I just showed you was the meeting house of the church that resides in that community. So the vineyard with the sign outside right here, this, this is not the church. And I know you might be sitting there going, yeah, 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 we understand that. Do you? Do you understand that you are the church? You don't go to church. That's an anomaly that, that came around about the time that they were translating the Bible from um, Latin and Greek into German. And they needed a word, um, and, and, and I'll share that with you. They needed a word. But the church is specifically, it means people gathered. That's what it means. In the book of uh, Matthew, Jesus is talking um, in the 16th chapter, and I just want to share this with you real quick before we get to what Paul told Timothy. But uh, Paul is talking to Peter at this point, and this is what he says to him, or the scripture says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked them, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ meaning Messiah, meaning the savior of the world, God's person to take away your and my sins, okay? And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by men, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, you are a rock or a stone, and on this rock I will build my 
my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And, uh, and, that, and that's where I want to stop right there. But you see that the church is kind of born right there. That's where the church is born. And Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. And Jesus tells Peter that you are solid. Changing your name, I'm giving you a new name, and you are the rock. Immovable, indestructible. And on this rock, on your confession of faith, that's what we believe as evangelicals, based on your confession of faith that Jesus is the Messiah of God and he came down here to take away the sins of the world, Jesus says, On that, I'm going to build my church. On that confession of faith, people are going to get saved because in truth, if they believe it, it will wreck their lives. If they surrender to it, if they accept it and and then lift up expectation to God, they're going to wonder if God exists. And that's what's going on. So we see the word used in in, uh, English is church. That's not used in the Greek. The word in the Greek is ekklesia. Here's a whole bunch of really cool Bible study things that pastors do when they come into a sermon like this. The thing that I'm really, I just wanted you to see it all. But what we're looking for is the usage down at the bottom. The word, the original word phonetically is ekklesia, not ecclesia, um, but you can say that, it's okay. Um, But ekklesia, and it means an assembly. It does not mean a building. It does not mean an organization. It does not mean a structure. It does not mean polity. It means people that have gathered together to worship God. The vineyard was born out of that very thing when a bunch of hippies in 1974 were hanging out on the beach coming out of the drug culture into the free love, every love sexual revolution culture and they were saying there's got to be more to life than what we're experiencing. Man, they were shooting up, they were um, eating mushrooms, they were smoking weed, they were doing all the things. But back then, it wasn't just a party. There was a lot of them talking about the concept of existentialism and how they're going to get in touch with the higher power. And, and there's got to be God or somebody out there somewhere. And so they were looking and they were hungry. But it was that gathering that the Holy Spirit showed up to. It was that gathering when they opened up the Word of God and said, then let's look at what Christianity says. And it says you should pray for people and this should happen. And they said, then why don't we just start doing it and let God be God and show up? That's how it started back in the 70s. It was about the gathering. It's not the building. It's the gathered people. It got changed, like I said earlier, when, when, the, when the scripture was being translated into the German and the word became Kirch. Kirch is the word that they chose to use to translate um, ecclesia into, and that became a structure or the organization or the building. Hey, we're going to run over to the church. And it's like it was never meant to be that. I'm going to gather together with the church. And therefore, if we grow into the idea that we're going to be the church instead of go to church, worlds, lives, cultures, humanity gets challenged and changed. 
And so I want to share with you this idea that I'm wrestling with in here and, and the things that, that uh, I want to share with you that I believe the Holy Spirit's just laid on my own personal heart to study this morning. And, and I'm going to give it to you, but it's in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's just the opening 11 verses. It's going to show up up here, but I'm going to do my best to always have this thing with me. I just like it. I like to turn pages. I like to write in it. I like to color. Um, I like to, whenever my brain goes off somewhere while Paul's telling Timothy something, I have to do doodle. You know, I have to do that. But that's just me. You don't have to do that in yours. Um, but this is a scripture. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. Um, the fact of the matter, well, we'll get to that. But anyway, let me just go there. In 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. But he's always saying, listen, I'm an apostle. Timothy, you know me. I'm the one writing to you, and this is my commission. This is my calling. I'm the second lieutenant in the Lord's army because he called me out and gave me a, an upgrade, so this is who I am. That's what's going on. Okay, He's laying it out there for him. Now, he knows Timothy really, really, really well. He really does, okay? And he says, So I'm writing to you, Timothy, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. Some people have left their relationship with God Almighty in a personal way, bought into religion, and they have wandered away and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. And remember, when he says that, he's not talking about the New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. The law, which condemns us, by the way, is good if you use it. The scalpel is sharp and will make you bleed unless you use it with expertise to bring healing. That's what he's saying, okay? We know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the, re the rebels, the ungodly, sinful, and unholy, irreligious, for those who kill their father. There was a lot of killing going on back then, evidently, in the families. They're j every time I turn around, Paul's going, and we used to murder people, but we don't do that anymore. It's like, wow, that seemed to just be a thing back then. Um, for those who kill their fathers or mothers or murderers or adulterers or perverts or slave traders and liars and perjurers and for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. And so there's Paul telling Timothy, this is the deal. This is what I'm, I'm writing to you and this is what's going on now. Timothy is a young man. That he's, a, he's a Greek, but he's a young man that gets saved on Paul's first missionary journey. He joins Paul for his second and third missionary journeys. And the last time that Paul was in prison in Rome, not under house arrest, but in prison, prison, okay, he writes to Timothy, whom he left in Ephesus, this letter. And this is one of the things that he said, and this is the thing that I was looking at as a pastor over this last summer in my own relationship to Jesus, and, and just, you know, what God has called me to, how long is this calling, you know, all these things, okay, all these things. And he says to Timothy, I told you to Stay in Ephesus. He compelled Timothy to remain in Ephesus. 
He said, I want you to go here, and I want you to be here, and I want you to minister here, and I want you to preach here, and I want you to work here, and I don't want you to leave, Timothy. So apparently, Timothy, because this is an answer to a letter that Paul received, and we don't have that letter. Paul is answering Timothy's letter. And in my mind, Timothy was on a trip and had taken the whole summer basically off and was saying, listen, can I leave now? Can I now go to Macedonia? Can I now go here? Can I now go there? And Paul's going, Timothy, pay attention. I told you to stay right there and continue to do this work. Now, why do you have to compel somebody to do this? It's the same idea that when Jesus... 5,000 plus men and women, um, and then he sends them on their way. He takes the disciples down to the Sea of Galilee, puts them in a boat, and it says he made them get in the boat, and then they went on their way. But see, you read over that too fast because that word made means compel, forced, demanded that they get in the boat. Jesus took 12 disciples that had just fed almost 10,000 people and said, I want you to go down to the Sea of Galilee, and you will get in that boat. And somebody pushed back because he had to compel them to do it. He forced them to do it. It's the same idea as Paul telling Timothy, you've got to stay right there. I've been listening to pastors preach to me this um, summer, and I began to ask myself, why did Timothy, or why did Paul have to tell Timothy to stay right there? Well, because apparently, according to Barna, three pastors are leaving their, their calling every week in America. Holy cow, let me just share this with you. A new Barna survey has revealed that within the last year, 42% of pastors have given serious considerations to quitting full-time ministry, up to 13% just from January, it's up 13% from January of 2021. Among the reasons why pastors are contemplating leaving the pulpit is stress, loneliness, and political division. Those are listed as the top three. Over half the pastors who've considered quitting, 56% say, the immense stress of the job has factored into their thoughts on leaving. Two in five pastors say they feel lonely and isolated, while 38% name current political divisions as the reason they've considered stepping away. In an interview with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, church health and revitalization strategist Terry Long said, the pastors are are experiencing crisis fatigue as a result of leading their congregations through more than two years of COVID pandemic, something that they never basically signed up for. It's a crisis. Paul had to tell Timothy to stay there because Timothy was done with these people. And if you don't believe me, read the letter to the book of Timothy. Apparently, he's a younger man. I think he's probably in his early, early 20s. Okay, I don't think he's in his late teens, but he might be because people in their late teens were conquering lands back then. So he was young, but he was young enough that the older people were giving him so much grief that Paul had to say, Timothy, don't let people give you grief just because you're young. Stay the course, stand up, fight the good fight. I noticed that Paul didn't just say, Timothy, lay down and take it. Timothy, lay down and be a doormat. Timothy, lay down and be run over because it will be good for you in the by and by. It doesn't say that. He says, Timothy, stay the course. Stay at it. And I'm not saying this because I'm looking for pity for me or any other pastor. 
a matter of fact, I took the staff, our staff, from this church to the national conference, and we had a wonderful time. Vineyard USA was meeting. Um, our regional conference was down in Knoxville, and uh, we went down there, excuse me, Gatlinburg, and we had a wonderful time down there in Gatlinburg, and we all got together, and, and this, this very topic was, was fresh on the list for, list for our national director. He jumped up, Jay Pathak, he jumped up, and he began to talk to us about what it means. He said, man, he said, you know, this is what's going on in church, and he was citing some statistics very much like this, and he's like, churches are closing their doors. They're not reopening. It feels like everybody's leaving you. Some of you are being attacked. Um, you know, just the idea of um, rationalism, um, if, I can, if I can call it that. Um, I'm going to choose to believe whatever it is I can figure out in my head, not the truth of Scripture. Um, if, if I can understand how God did it, then somehow I will believe that because I'm as big as God, um, which is the only way you can interpret that. But people are, are the way Christianity is being disassembled, so people can apostatize themselves is absolutely uncanny. And of course, he says, now, how, how, how many of you pastors in this room feel this way? And I'm just going to tell you, just about everybody jumped up and said, me, you know, they feel like they got arrows all in them. They got a knife in their back, whatever it is. They're, they're, they're struggling. And I love, I love Jay Pathak, and I'm going to paraphrase him. He said, well, sit down. This is what you signed up for. And it was like, wow, well, let's just take our staff and go home, okay? We don't need to hear this kind of nonsense. He says, isn't it kind of like a doctor who's been in the ER and he's had a rough day and everybody's bleeding that comes racing in there and arms are off and they're trying to attach them and then they step back and they say, well, man, there's so much blood here. This isn't what I signed up for. It's like, what did you think it was? I love that Jay said, it's spiritual warfare. The enemy is coming against you. The enemy wants to destroy you. We vary in a very pithy way. We say, oh, the enemy is a roaring. We read it from Peter, right? The enemy is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. No, you don't understand. The enemy wants you dead and in hell forever. And hell is not your job on Monday morning. Hell is not thing. It's not traffic at 5.27 p.m. on Thursday when that lady and I got to meet each other on the bypass. And thank God the Holy Spirit showed up and I zipped it and sat down on the guardrail and didn't move. There are people that will tell you hell is just the difficult situation on earth. And I'm telling you right now, that is an outright lie from the pit of hell because Jesus never spoke of hell as a difficulty, but always a geographical location, not necessarily on this planet in this dimension excuse me, in this dimension. But it was never a difficult situation that you're going through. It was an eternal place of actual suffering. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, we've got a fight on our hands. And you've got to not give up. You've got to not wreck your marriage. You've got to not lose your children. You've got to not cave into the culture. You've got to not believe the lie. You've got to not become self-absorbed because our churches are becoming places of self-help. How do I do this? How do I do that? And churches should be a place where we come and say, how do I understand what God has created me to do in this situation, in my marriage, in raising my kids, in my job, in my relationship with my neighbor, in my relationship to my dog, in my relationship to my anger. What has Christ come to tell me about that? In the midst of all of that, Paul says, 
Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. He says it three times in the book of 1 Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying, and for this, basically, we've given our lives. And it's these three trustworthy sayings that I believe that uh, Paul was telling Timothy, you've got to cling to this. Because at the point that you try to rationalize or understand God, who is so big and you can't comprehend it, you'll let go of your faith. And that's not what we want to see. He says, some have wandered, Scripture says, from the faith because things didn't go the way they wanted them to. I just want to read you the one in 1 Timothy. I'm going to, hold on a second, I'm going to read what it says, and I want to show you the actual interlinear of, of what it says. It says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is what it says word for word if you take the manuscript that's 2,000 years old and you just translate it word for word instead of trying to make it make sense in English. If you just translate the words and put them in the sentence the way they are, it reads, faithful the word and all acceptance worthy. You'd have to study that, wouldn't you, to understand that. Faithful the word, and of all acceptance worthy that Christ Jesus came into the world, sinners to save, of whom chief am I. But because of this I obtained mercy that in me first might show forth Christ Jesus all longsuffering, for a pattern to those being about to believe on him for life everlasting, to the now king of the ages, to the now King of the ages, incorruptible, invisible, only wise God, honor and glory to the ages of ages, to the king of kings. Amen. And that's how Paul addresses Timothy word for word. For you and I, it says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Christ Jesus, number one, came in to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is what Paul tells Timothy the church is supposed to be about. When you come into church on Sunday morning and you say, I want to sing this song, I want to do this, this is what should be going on. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. There's two different things. On the one hand, Paul is walking into church and he's saying, Christ has saved me, I was a sinner. On the other hand, he's saying, Christ has came to save sinners and I'm telling you that I was the worst of sinners and if God can save me, God can save you. It is my testimony, Paul is saying, that if God can save me, God can save you. But the church is first and foremost. Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, the church is first and foremost to see that people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. They don't accept him as Lord and Savior. They surrender their lives to Jesus Christ because it's the only thing that makes sense when you stop and you count the 82 years that you're going to live on this planet and you stop and you say, what's after that? And you've got a choice to make. Nothing. We die and nothing happens, so you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, rob banks, fornicate, and do all the things because there's no consequence. Or you stop and say, all of this could not have happened without an intelligent designer, and I'm going to have to choose to understand who this intelligent designer is. And if I open up the Word of God and it doesn't make sense to me, it might not be the Word of God that's the problem, but it might be me. I might need to re-understand my re-understanding because I'm, kind of, I'm trying to shrink God all the way down to where I can explain a deity that I can't physically touch. And I might have to do something based upon faith. Faith. 
And it is by faith that we find ourselves in a relationship and pleasing to God. Faith is what we need to hang on to. So Paul is telling Timothy, I need you to know these things. And the first one is, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the chiefest. And that means the church exists for evangelism. Grace has come and reigns in our lives, and we have been set free. And, and there's a place where Paul's statement is meant to remind you and I that we are no better off than the next person. Listen, I'm telling you right now that when people come and kick you in the shin, you want to lash back out, but you've been invited not to. It doesn't mean you've been invited just to sit and take it and take it and take it. There's nothing wrong with suppressing the person doing that to you or moving yourself out of the place where they're doing it. But at the end of the day, you and I have come to the place where we understand that if Christ lives inside of us, we are no better off than the next person. Not because all sin is the same to God, because it's not. We'll talk about that in another sermon series. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus came for the homeless. And the scripture that we just read this morning says, the homeless per it would include the drug addict, the prostitute, the liar, the cheat, and certainly the gossip. Jesus said, I came to save those people that are doing those things. And by the way, some of you are murdering your mom and dad. And you need to knock it off. And in my brain, I'm still like, whoa, those people. Paul admonishes us that we need to be used by God which causes us to ask in our lives, are we being used by God and has the old Joe gone and is the new Joe here? Am I seeing the transformation in my life that takes place because the Holy Spirit of God Almighty lives inside of me? Am I seeing those giftings poured out that transforms me or am I just being good and trying to attribute it to God? Transformation. The church is made up of people that have believed Jesus and set their lives on the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of morality, the teachings of honesty, the teachings of sacrifice, the teachings of service, and the teachings of compassion, and we don't compromise. We don't throw rocks at people that are who we used to be, but we don't compromise on truth. The world does not have to follow Jesus, and it's absolutely crazy that we would think they need to act like us. It would be better if they did, but that's foolishness. But when somebody says, I follow Jesus, but I'm not going to do it Jesus' way, then we have a place where we need to sit down and say, well, then tell me, how does this work in your life? What does this mean? The second one that, uh, that uh, Timothy, or excuse me, Paul lays out for Timothy is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. If anyone sets his, number two, let me say it this way. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. It's the idea of serving through loving or serving and loving. That's what it's about for you and I, serving and love. Leadership is about serving and loving. Yes, we have visions. Yes, we try to make those visions come to pass. Yes, God surrounds us with people that will help those visions come to pass. But at the end of the day, the vision is about serving the community. It's just like what you saw. We're sending food out to serve the community. It's just like what you saw. We're sending food in to serve the community. I'm telling you, the Hope Food Pantry will only last as long as you will continue to buy groceries and put them over there. At that point, the food pantry can help people. If, if, if you say, yeah, uh, yeah, but that's not our calling. Okay, then nobody's going to get fed. 
Okay, it really comes down to that. I'm not trying to put the guilt on you. I'm just saying, wake up. We've been called to do stuff, and it causes, I mean, it, it requires a sacrifice. And, and there's a place at which we've got to stop and say, like, like Brianna said, it's like, this is going to be a place of non-judgment. And let's, let's just be honest, even as Christian people, there is a place in there where we have to make judgments. And I talked about that before, but there also has to be a place, and we want to have a church where people can come in and say, I am struggling in my sin, or I'm struggling with life, and not be judged to hell for it, but be educated, be shown, be trained up. Be prayed for, be encouraged, be inspired to choose a different way of life. There's a place where we can desire to be an overseer. We can desire, let me put it a different way, maybe not in charge, but we can desire to be involved in full-time church work or volunteer church work. There's a place for us to desire that. You don't have to have some big calling on your life where God knocks you off the tractor and you're laying in the field and the angels appear to you and say, go into full-time ministry. You don't have to have that. You can wake up and say, I love Jesus so much that I want to give my life over to full-time ministry. That is just as valid a calling, according to what Paul tells Timothy. If anyone desires the office of leadership in the church, he desires a good thing. Press into it. But we understand that that leadership is true in all areas of church life. And so we want to encourage people in that. But the crazy part is, and we do believe that in the vineyard, everybody gets to play. There is a place that is important for you to serve, whether it's the children's department. A lot of you have children, and, and we put our children in the children's department because we want a break from our children, but we want them learning about Jesus. Okay, well, there's a place for you to go and be a part of that as well because we believe in training our children, not babysitting our children on Sunday mornings. We want to train them up so that as they get closer and closer to an age that they will surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And we do that by being a part of that. You know, it, 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 it's kind of crazy to me that a, a lot of us came from churches before where we went at 9.30 to Sunday school and we had Sunday school for an hour, even as adults. We had Sunday school for an hour and then we took about a 15 or 20 minute break and then church started and then we were there for an hour. And so when we planted this we church, we said, hey, how about this? How how about we plant a church of people that want to serve one another and you serve one and attend one it's the same amount of time that you used to go to church for but we don't for some reason we don't and I want to challenge you in that is there a place in this church where you serve or do you just attend Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of all respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Um, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I just want you to know this. I read that to you, and it can be exhausting, okay? Nobody measures up to that. Completely. But it doesn't make it any less the target. It's like Proverbs 31, right, on Mother's Day? 
Let me tell you what a real godly woman actually does. She makes clothes for her children out of purple, and, and she spins and makes the material that she makes the clothes out of, and she buys fields, and it goes on and on and on. And I just can't imagine you women getting to the end of that list and saying, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm knocking it out of the park. About 100% of the women I know get to the end of that list and say, why try? And look at their husband and say, you got what you got. <laughs> and you're stuck. You know? The fact of the matter is, kind of like my wife used to say about me, you're looking for the man that has the least amount of faults that you can deal with. So you're looking for the one that meets the most of those qualifications. Listen, I love her for it. It's okay. You know, she factored in who I am just the way God factored in my stupid. Um, and that's okay. We know there is no perfect person for that job. But the truth of the matter is God calls us to it. And the last one that I want to share with you as we wrap this up is that we put our hope in the living God. This is what the church is supposed to be about. The church is supposed to be about sinners. The church is supposed to be about raising people up and finding places for them to serve. And now the church is supposed to be about perseverance. Look at this. We've put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. And this deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive. Let me read that again. We have put our hope in the living God. When my job is not going well, I have put my hope in the living God. When the circumstances are not going well, I have this thing, this phrase that I use. I used it not too long ago. Um, with Well, I used it in my own life too. But um, when you get to that place in your life when you're writing fiction in your head, you know what I mean now? Something happens, and so you start writing fiction. And you can tell that's what you're doing when you say, I know what they're thinking. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Even if you've been married to them for 40 years, you don't know what they're thinking. Okay? But as humans, we start writing fiction, and we say, this is how bad it is. This is what it's about to happen. I probably am going to get a job at McDonald's. This is going to be it. And we, we just start writing fiction. Because we've forgotten that we put our hope in a living God who didn't bring you this far to leave you, who didn't teach you to swim to let you drown, who didn't pick you up to let you down. If I can cabbage on to some words from the 670s, Jesus movement. We serve a God that loves you, that is our hope, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Do you understand that it means he's the Savior of the sinners too? It's just the sinners are waiting for something else when their hope is right there. And it's our call to open up their eyes. And that deserves full acceptance from you, the scripture says. And for this we labor and strive. It's one thing to work at it. It's another thing to wrestle and strive at it. That means it's not going to be easy. It's not always going to be fun. It is going to require sacrifice of time and money. It is going to require your gifting, your talent, your whatever it might be like these people. It doesn't have to be on stage. It might be teaching and you're called to be a small group leader. It might be that, that, that you've got financial resources. But guess what? Then you need to be um, helping to, to, to keep this church financially where it's going. Not necessarily by giving, but we've, we've got a board that watches over that stuff. It deserves full acceptance because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to matter is our persevering. Our lives should change when we surrender to Jesus. Our lives should change and our purposes should change. 
Paul wraps these things up by saying, this is what the church is. These are three trustworthy sayings that you've got to cling to, Timothy, and don't let go of them. And then he says, and be diligent in these matters and give yourself wholly to them so that everyone can see your progress. See, there's a reason I keep asking you to look back five years and to see what's happened to your relationship to Jesus, to watch it grow. There's a reason. And then he says, and watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Not because you can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt through your science book, but because by faith you have put your faith in Christ Jesus who is the hope. And because of that, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I surrender to Christ, then I testify to others. I serve the kingdom by serving the humanity around me. I persevere until the coming of Christ. No compromise. The joy is that we're family and you don't have to do it alone. It's a choice. And in all of this, I'm reminded that we weren't created to be alone. You were created, created to be in a small group you were created to be the church. You were created to love the community. You were created to speak up about truth without being nasty and mean, but to say, this is what I believe and why. To give a hope for that which lies within you. That's what the scripture says. Be ready in season and out to give a hope for that which lies inside. Can we do that? And will we start doing it? Will we just casually begin to make Jesus a part of our everyday conversation? Because that's who he is. I want to encourage you in that. We are the church. We're not going to church. We are the church. And we will feed people. And we will give to people. And we will serve people. And we will help people. And we will find a way to love people. And we will find a way to bring hope into their lives when there is none. And they may be rich and they may be poor, but it doesn't matter because they all need a Savior. And that's what we're going to be here for. We are going to give our lives to this, this year. Father, as we come before you, we thank you and we praise you for what it is that you're doing in our midst. We thank you that you've called us to a church, not to Nickelodeon. We thank you that you've called us to have fun but that it's about having a goal in the end of seeing people come to you, seeing people grow in, in through, and through discipleship, in and through discipleship. And then, God, it is about hanging on until the trumpet blows when we're discouraged and when we feel like we've lost our hope. And so today, God, I ask and pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation and the hope that you would fan that to flame that that hope that lies within us would be awakened again. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we come to our feet in this closing song, our worship, or, excuse me, our prayer team is up here to pray with you. If you've lost a hope, if you feel like you've wandered, if you're wondering where God is, if you want to be touched, whatever it might be that you're going through this morning, we just want the opportunity to pray with you and speak the kingdom of heaven into your physical life.